Every few weeks, we've been doing a version of a story we call Your COVID Questions Skimmed. Some weeks our questions are along the lines of, tell me about this Pfizer vaccine, or what's a mutation? But other weeks, like right now, there are too many headlines to keep track of. More vaccines are getting approved, but new strains mean those vaccines are less effective. But we should still get vaccinated anyway? Also, wasn't 2021 supposed to be the turning point for COVID? And now it feels like COVID's New Year's resolution was just like, hold my beer. Welcome to Skim This. This week, we'll try to package all of our COVID questions up for a researcher and infectious disease specialist. Then we'll explain the NFL's plans to host 22,000 people at this weekend's Super Bowl and why the hosts of other major sports events are being a little more cautious. We've also got a roundup of other headlines from around the country and around the world, like President Biden's immigration moves, Canada labeling the Proud Boys terrorists, what's going on with farmers' protests in India, and the coup in Myanmar. And finally, to help you live smarter, we've got a handy explainer on the difference between stock trading and investing, and why wine clubs are worth a look even if they're run by an airline. We'll explain. All right, let's do it. Nationwide, the country is finally seeing a decline in COVID hospitalizations. Progress, yes, but still a lot of confusion. Mutations of the virus are rapidly popping up across the country. Scientists say the current pace of vaccine distribution is no match for the new, more contagious UK variant. 50% more contagious. The U.S. is still nowhere near herd immunity. Spiking demand for an already inadequate supply. It's still going to be an uphill climb. Confused? To make sense of all the COVID headlines this week, we called up someone who's been talking about COVID for almost a year now. My name is Sabrina Asumu. I'm an infectious disease physician at Boston Medical Center. Like we said at the beginning of the show, Dr. Asumu is also picking up on the fact that right now with COVID, good news and bad news go hand in hand. The good news is that the numbers are improving. The number of new cases, number of deaths, hospitalization, everything is heading in the right direction. The other good news is that the vaccines are hopefully going to allow us to get to the new normal. But unfortunately, the new variants are really putting a wrinkle into our plans. We've been hearing a lot about new COVID strains over the last few weeks, particularly the ones from South Africa, Brazil and the UK that might all be more infectious than the OG strain, and has a lot of people wondering how effective the vaccines will be against them. There's even a report that researchers have identified around 4,000 different COVID mutations by now. So this concern about new strains challenging the effectiveness of vaccines probably isn't going away. But Dr. Sumu says, don't panic. She told us if you see headlines about vaccines being less effective at fighting these new COVID strains than others, Those stories might be overlooking a key statistic, whether these vaccines still reduce your risk of hospitalization and death. We're focusing on like the top line. We're saying Pfizer, Moderna, 94, 95% effective. And we're like Johnson & Johnson, 66% effective. So the top line seems concerning, right? If you don't read the actual study and dig in and see that actually, If you look at Johnson & Johnson's and some of the other vaccines that seem to have a lower overall efficacy for whichever endpoint they were looking at, all these vaccines are effective at preventing hospitalization and death. And the reason why that is so important is if we can convert COVID-19 
from being a severe disease, a severe illness that could either cause you to die or be hospitalized. And it's just a mild disease that, you know, you're vaccinated and you just have mild symptoms and then you do fine. And that would be a huge achievement for us in terms of a society. Gotcha. So getting vaccinated probably equals not getting seriously ill. That's a reason why Dr. Sumu says, even if it feels like we can hold out for the newer COVID vaccines on the horizon, we're better off just getting vaccinated as soon as we can. She said the longer we wait, the more mutations could develop and the less effective any vaccines could be. You know, people are hearing that there are options, but one thing I keep telling everyone, when it's your turn to show up and get vaccinated with the vaccine that's available, like that's, that's what's gonna get us to the new normal. Which brings us to vaccine equity. The concept that everyone should get access to the vaccine and that we shouldn't allow someone's socioeconomic status, race, or location stand in the way of them getting vaccinated. There are some concerning signs that the U.S. is already failing the equity test. According to one study, white residents of Pennsylvania, Florida, and Mississippi have been vaccinated at more than three times the rate of black residents. And even though some states are now vaccinating, say, everyone over age 65, experts say making an appointment on busy online platforms where fast internet connections make it easier to grab a time slot or having to wait on the phone for hours disadvantages those already facing economic hardship. And this isn't just a problem from a moral or ethical standpoint. Dr. Asumu says failing the vaccine equity test is a huge medical problem if our goal is to go back to normal ASAP. You know, none of us are safe until all of us are safe. That's what this pandemic has shown to us. Like we can't stay in our little bubble in the developed world thinking, okay, we're gonna get vaccinated and get back to our new normal and start, you know, traveling and whatnot. Because unless if there's virus anywhere, it's gonna, given the global world that we live in and, and international travel, it would eventually come back. If we continue to have more people infected and the virus keeps having, you know, more opportunities to mutate, maybe we're going to reach a point where the first generation of vaccines are not going to work. Like our mRNA vaccine that were made for the original strain are not going to work. And so we're also going to need boosters and we'll have to go through this all over again. So we're all connected and we're all in this together. It's that time of year, you know, for wings, beer, commercials, and face masks and temperature checks. It's the Super Bowl COVID style. This Sunday, 43-year-old Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face off against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in Florida, with 22,000 fans in the stands. So we wanted to know, is the Super Bowl going to be a super spreader? To get some perspective, we called up. My name is Rhiannon Walker, and I'm staff writer for The Athletic. Walker told us, yes, that's a lot of people, but it's not going to be a full stadium by any means. I'm trying to remember Raymond James Stadium's um, size off the top of my head. I think it's upward 70,000 or so. So as you imagine, it's less than a third of the stadium full. You have plenty of space to spread people out, wearing masks at all times. As for who's actually attending, over 7,000 of the people in the stands will be vaccinated healthcare workers. The plan right now is a lot of the people that will be in attendance are healthcare workers 
which makes a lot of sense when you think about a lot of the sacrifices, so many of the sacrifices that many of them have made, whether it be long times away from their family, whether it's been exposing themselves to people who've had COVID-19. The thought being is that they're not gonna have too many regular fans. As for how the NFL is keeping its players and coaches safe, they've certainly had some trial and error over the regular season. A recently released CDC report details how the NFL was able to have a season at all. Think aggressive contact tracing, quarantines, and devices that track players' proximity to others. It's worth noting that even those strict measures didn't stop COVID outbreaks for a number of teams during the season. But the season did happen even though some people thought it couldn't. So the NFL is hopeful that the Super Bowl could be safe too, even during the pandemic. The Super Bowl isn't the only big sporting event that's supposed to take place this year, which is some people wondering, could it be a blueprint for other big sports events? That's because as far as we know, the Tokyo Olympic Games, which were postponed last year, are still happening this summer. But as the virus continues to spread around the world, some people are wondering whether hosting a global sports competition with athletes flying in from 206 different nations is such a good idea. And reportedly, even Olympic host Japan is having some second thoughts. So could the Olympic Committee look to American sports leagues like the NFL as a model for the Games? Walker isn't so sure. There's nothing like the Olympics. There's no sport that's comparable to it because it encapsulates one so many different sports, encapsulates so many different people, so many regions where they have different rules and regulations. This week, the Olympic Committee released a series of playbooks, aka protocols that athletes, judges, and anyone else physically there should follow before they even get on the plane to Tokyo. So far, those include regular testing leading up to and throughout the games, as well as regular temperature checks. Still, a lot of details are TBD. But whether or not organizers cancel live events may have less of an effect on the pandemic than how we participate from our living room, especially during the Super Bowl this weekend. Officials in California believe that watch parties for the Lakers and the Dodgers contributed to the spread of COVID in the fall. And now as new variants of COVID, which are likely more contagious, have made their way to the US, doctors are warning Americans to skip the gatherings and the communal chip bowl. So far, it doesn't seem like people are listening. According to some polls, nearly 30% of people say they're planning to watch the game at someone's house or a bar. So even if Walker's eyes are on the game this weekend, I think the Chiefs are gonna win the game. If I had a bank on it. The lasting story of Super Bowl 2021 might have more to do with the fans at home. It's time to quickly recap some of the stories that have broken over the course of the week and to provide you with a shot of the headlines along with a chaser of context. All right, first up. News is flowing thick and fast today. President Biden targets Trump's immigration policies. Here's the context. On Tuesday, Biden signed three executive orders on immigration, mostly aimed at reviewing what happened under President Trump. One order will review Trump's public charge rule, which stopped immigrants from getting green cards or residency if they'd ever been in public housing or used food stamps. Another reviews the Remain in Mexico program, which sends asylum seekers outside the US while their visa requests are processed. And the third order created a task force to locate and reunite children and their parents separated at the border during Trump's time in office. Though because of poor record keeping, the US doesn't even know how many parents were separated from their kids. 
And another unknown is whether Biden will pass more wide-ranging immigration reform, which would likely need the help of Congress. Also, with detentions and arrests along the U.S.-Mexico border still climbing, and with a caravan of Honduran migrants heading towards the U.S., Biden could soon be under pressure to do more. Our next headline is that Canada has officially designated the right-wing group The Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. The context here is key. This is reportedly the first time The Proud Boys has been labeled a terrorist group by any jurisdiction. Canada's move comes after a mob of right-wing extremists, including the Proud Boys, stormed the U.S. Capitol last month. So far, the U.S. has been investigating and arresting hundreds of people involved, though the Justice Department is still struggling to track everyone down. So it seems like neighboring Canada has taken matters into its own hands to crack down on these kinds of threats, which Canadian officials say pose a threat to them, too. Canada's move could make it illegal for Canadians to send money to the Proud Boys, or for Proud Boys to travel north of the border. But that still doesn't mean much for how the U.S. fights right-wing threats back home. For now, the White House says it's still figuring out its plan. Our final headline involves Rihanna taking to Twitter to stand up for farmers in India? Some context. For months, thousands of farmers across India have been protesting laws that they say would weaken government price controls which have long guaranteed that farmers could sell their goods at a set price. Experts say these price reforms were long overdue, but with many farmers already struggling to get by, they're worried these new laws put them at a risk of being exploited by large companies. India's government responded pretty fast to Rihanna's tweet this week, calling it ill-informed and propaganda. They reacted the same way to Greta Thunberg, who also supported the farmers on Twitter. Analysts say, the government's reaction to these criticisms is part of a pattern under Prime Minister Narendra Modi of stifling protests, arresting critics, and limiting free speech. And while people can disagree over India's farm laws, Rihanna has now become a target of vicious attacks by online trolls, and even from Bollywood actors and Indian sports stars, who haven't exactly been taking the high road in making their case that the farm laws are no big deal. Got a minute? You might have heard this week that a military coup had taken place in Myanmar, in Southeast Asia. The military made its move in the early hours of the morning, detaining Myanmar's democratically elected leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. Troops now guarding palaces and the parliament. Early Monday morning, Myanmar's military detained the country's de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. The military alleged there was fraud in the country's November elections, in which Suu Kyi's party won by a landslide even though Myanmar's election commissions say there's zero evidence of fraud. Suu Kyi is now under house arrest, and the military has arrested more people since, including people who criticized the military government in the past. Unsure of what will happen next, people in Myanmar have been stocking up on food and trying to get money out of ATMs. This whole story is a major and concerning development for a country that, just a few years ago, was the newest poster child for democracy. So, what's next? Here's the answer in 60 seconds. History lesson. Myanmar was basically under one-party military rule from the 1960s until 2011. In its first real free election in 2015, Suu Kyi, a longtime opposition leader and Nobel Peace Prize winner, was elected in a landslide. One of her top priorities as Myanmar's de facto leader was separating the military from the civilian government. Guess who didn't love that? 
the military. And now they've got all the power back, which is raising questions like, what's gonna happen to Myanmar's Rohingya Muslim minority group? After decades of persecution, Myanmar's military went after the Rohingya several years ago in what the UN has called a genocide. And with the military back in power, minority groups like the Rohingya can now potentially be in even more danger. The coup also puts Myanmar's diplomatic future in question. The recent end of military rule led countries like the US to remove economic sanctions. And in 2015, it looked like Myanmar might get a seat at the democracy table and pull further away from China as a result. But that could change with the military back in charge. The US is talking about reimposing economic sanctions, which could unintentionally push Myanmar toward China, a country that seems open to cutting deals with whoever's in charge of Myanmar, regardless of the message that sends. So Myanmar is stuck, caught in a tug of war between two countries with little certainty for its residents or for those concerned about its place on the world stage. How'd we do? Want us to skim a burning question from the news on an upcoming episode? Send us an idea to audio at theskim.com. GameStop. 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 No greater story right now than that of GameStop. Last week, we skimmed why GameStop became the hottest stock on Wall Street after a group of unlikely amateur traders on Reddit bet big on the failing retailer and cost Wall Street a lot of money. As GameStop became the subject of our group texts, Google searches, and Insta feeds, we started to feel kind of left out. To figure out if we were missing out on an opportunity to make quick cash, we called up our Skim Money team. Hi, I'm Stacy, finance editor for Skim Money. We wanted to know, what's better for your wallet? Trading stocks like we saw people from Reddit doing or investing? So investing is all about building wealth. And that's something that happens over a long period of time. And usually when we think about investing, it's a minimum of five years. So for example, you have your goals, your long-term financial goals. Maybe it's buying a house in five years, or maybe it's even retiring in 30 years. That's all really long time frames. And investing is all about being patient, buying and holding, and making sure you build the wealth that you need to reach those goals. Studies show that investing in the stock market can increase the amount in your account way more than just putting that money in the bank or under your mattress, meaning you can hit your financial goals sooner. Investing in multiple stocks can help too. Investing for the long term and making it successful is really about diversification. So that's being able to spread your money across a number of different investments so that if one thing does well, while something else does badly, you can still reach your money goals because it's all balanced out and diversified. Which brings us to that second way to make money, trading. So trading is definitely a short-term strategy. AKA, trying to get rich quick. Since it's probably safe to say people didn't buy stocks of a struggling video game retailer as a long-term investment. So when the Redditors went in to buy GameStop, they really only had the short-term in mind. They were looking to get in quickly and kind of turn the tables on the hedge funds. Trading is looking for short-term profits by paying attention to small changes about a company or its stock price. But there's a lot of risk involved, so be prepared to win big or lose big. 
you're really there to just get these short-term wins and try to make some big money in the quickest amount of time possible. And that is a very risky game to play. So if you're trading, you, you may just be looking at one investment at a time and you're focusing on the short term. So you're putting all your eggs into maybe just one basket and if it sinks, you could lose everything. For the people who traded GameStop stock, they took a risk, which might have paid off last week. But this week, GameStop shares have so far fallen more than 80%, meaning many of those same Reddit traders have already lost a lot of that money. But if you do want to get in on the trading action, there are a few ways you can minimize your risk. If you want to play the market, if you want to play the game, you have to make sure that you're only using money that you are not afraid to lose and never ever see again. So in order to do that, you have to have a strong financial foundation to start with. And that means having everything else in order. That means having an emergency fund in place, having your debts paid off and having your investments in place. And then even if you have all of those things in place, you still want to keep it to a small portion of your portfolio. And remember, even if you do want to trade, you don't always have to jump on the bandwagon. It's totally natural to succumb to peer pressure. But you know, bandwagon bias is, is real and it, the pull of it is strong. If something is very, very popular, it's very easy to buy into it and think that, you know, in investing, that it's going to make you money like it made the last person money. But that's just not how it works. It could be fun to watch what's going on with GameStop and to watch all these traders kind of try to beat each other at their own games. But when you lose that money, that's not going to be very much fun. <laughs> so it really pays off to try to focus on your own long-term investing strategy and your own long-term financial goals. And reaching those, even if it takes a long time, will be much more fun than losing all of your money in one bet. For more resources from our Skim Money team, head on over to theskim.com slash money. Before we go this week, we want to talk about wine, airplane wine. Sort of, but not exactly like that. Last month, American Airlines launched a wine club and in the process triggered a lot of internet snark. Think jokes about two-buck chuck being served in plastic wine cups or the joy of having a meal cart crashing into your knees. That may be the wine experience you can expect in Coach, but this new wine club called Flagship Cellars is a little more first class. American Airlines says its wine experts taste close to 2,000 wines a year, and so they might as well share their picks with the public, starting at $99 a month for three bottles. Another inspiration for the idea? American reportedly has some leftover wine sitting around after it stopped serving wine on some flights last year, and since just fewer people are flying overall. So what's the deal here? To get the skim, we called up Chastity Cooper. I'm a Chicago-based communication strategist and wine journalist. I was actually quite surprised by the selection. What I saw was like Portugal, France, California. If you are the, the wine person who doesn't want to 
step outside your house due to social distancing, now you can have another opportunity to experience wines from kind of all over the world. But if travel envy isn't enough to convince you to put an airline in charge of your wine, Chastity says wine clubs in general are booming, and for good reason. It's the education that makes the difference. Like I could totally walk into the wine shop, you know, pick up my favorite Sauv Blanc and go about my business. But with subscribing to this monthly wine club, I'm opening my world up just a little bit. Being able to have this curated experience shipped to your door and then the ability, if you want to explore out of, you know, Sauv Blanc from New Zealand, you know, knowing there's Sauv Blanc from California is also an option too. You can kind of start to build your palate that also, Chastity says millennials and wine clubs make for an extra good pairing since younger drinkers like trying new things and aren't quite so snobby yet. I think the older generation, the baby boomers, you know, some of the Gen Xers, to them, wine was a status symbol. It's like, oh, you know, I can collect X, Y, Z. You know, I love my Bordeaux and my Burgundies, you know, blah, blah, blah. If this whole wine club thing has you intrigued, Chastity says the wine club world is your oyster. From clubs focused on specific countries or states. Cellar 53 is out of Oregon. It's women owned. They curate just wines from Oregon producers. Two black owned wine clubs like the Sip Society, the monthly black owned wine and spirits subscription box service, A Taste of the Culture, or groups like Black Oak, which connects its members with bottles from black owned wine brands around the world. But an even easier way to start spreading your wine wings is to mask up and think local. I love my local wine shops. In nine times out of 10, your local wine shop is going to have a monthly wine club. Definitely start there. You know, you'll be able to, um, you know, learn from the owners firsthand. Why did they curate the selection this month? And you'll be able to learn what's in the bottle and you're supporting a local business. I think that's so important now more than ever. It's five o'clock now, right? If you're looking for a virtual wine buddy or to learn more about women in wine, we've left a link to follow Chastity in our show notes. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by Alex Carr and Luke Vargas, with additional help from Peter Bonaventure and Kira Long. Our head of audio is Graylin Brashear, and I'm your host, Justine Davey. Skim This will be back in your feed again next Thursday. Until then, for more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com. Thank you.